It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, you're listening to Times Redbox Politics Podcast. Matt Chorley's still away, so it's me, Patrick Maguire, in the hot seat for the rest of this week. Today, we did Disunited Kingdom at 11, bringing you news from the four corners of the UK. But first, it's time for our columnist panel. No Alice Thompson this week, so James Kirkup steps into the breach with Robert Crampton. The Columnists on Times Radio. Now, you'll already heard one half of our columnist panel in the studio this morning, Robert Crampton. Hi, Patrick. And joining us on the line, Alice Thompson is still away, so I'm joined by Times columnist and director of the Social Market Foundation, James Kirkup. Morning, James. Morning. Uh, no ideas on our politician today, Robert? I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a thought, but it's not, he's not really a politician as such. Does it have to be an elected politician? Well, not necessarily an elected politician. Could it be like a trade union official, for instance? What, go on, who do you think it is? Is it Scargill? It's not Arthur Scargill. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> it is not Arthur Scargill, I'm afraid. James, any guesses? I, I'm hopeless on trivia. I really am. There we go. Um, I mean, I, 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 there, are, there aren't many politicians who have been arrested. I briefly thought, I briefly thought of George, uh, George Galloway. I possibly told you, you Tommy Sheridan. No. But, um, no. No, I'm afraid um, not. You don't deal in trivia, James. You deal with serious right. policy suggestions like your column in this morning's <laughs> time. I'm very tedious like that, I'm sorry. How's, hey, how's that for a seamless segue, though? James... You're telling politicians this morning that a Elegant. gentle nudge is no substitute for a firm stance when it comes to stuff like fuel crises, uh, pensions and obesity. And in the week that Liz Truss promised to abolish the ban on buy one, get one free offers and chocolate yep. at checkouts, it's well-timed, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the comment written this morning is, is, is about, I mean, you, you, I'm sure listeners will be familiar, intimately familiar with, with, with nudge theory, uh, behavioural economics. This has been the sort of vogue for 10 years and more. Like, you know, the you know, politicians can't tell people what to do, but what they have to do is they have to, you have to, you have to trick us using our cognitive biases into doing the right thing, um, which is kind of, yeah, which has its uses, but it's often a complex. It's much easier for them to yeah, try and you know, you know, try and nudge us a little bit by you know, rewording the for, rewording the forms or changing the defaults to try and get us to do stuff because we're lazy and we don't we don't bother working out. But I mean, the argument I'm making is that actually, when you've got really big stuff, obesity, pension savings energy you just gotta, you've just got to be a bit braver and come out and just tell people what to do um, robert are you... Sorry, James. you just you just find it just just getting getting it getting what what theodore roosevelt called called, called the bully pulpit mm. and use your platform to tell people you tell people to do stuff differently 
Um, so I mean, if, yeah, in a minute, in a minute if, you, if you ask, ask me how, ask, ask me, ask me to explain to, to to your listeners how they can all save two hundred quid on their fuel yeah. bills this winter. But we'll, we'll leave that as a tease. For, as, as a tease a, for for the next question. As a tease, Robert Robert Crampton will tee you up. Robert, are you susceptible to a good nudge from the government? Uh, I suppose I am. I mean, I suppose a really good nudge is you don't know that it's happening to you. Uh, but I could completely agree with James. I mean, I was surprised both by his. Uh, the revelation how you can save 200 quid by uh, not overheating the water in your boiler for your radiators. Mm. Uh, that surprised me, and I will now go home and uh, make that adjustment. Or my wife will, actually, because <laughs> she knows how to do it. But secondly, I was surprised by when, uh, the fact that he wasn't surprised that politicians said that they wouldn't do it because it was patronising. I mean, I, th I knew that politicians were afraid of patronising and nannying people, but I didn't know it got that bad. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting... The interesting thing was, during COVID, people didn't mind being told what to do at all, did they? Uh, well, exactly, the, and that was always were, the fear of... Yeah, there was always a fear that, you know, the people are going to... But that has actually turned out to be a very minority uh, kind of libertarian interest amongst the chattering classes, whereas the great British public what said, you know, tell us what to do. You're the, you're the experts. Mm. Give us some advice here. And, James, you're, you know, you were in the... Uh, you were a parliamentary reporter at the time when... It was a famous incident when uh, everybody was asking Ed Davies, spokesman, or the number 10 spokesman to, to urge people to pull on a jumper if they were feeling mm. too cold, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they, this, is, this is exactly the, the sort of thing the politicians are terrified of. Mm. I, I, yeah, they, they are really worried about headlines where someone says, how dare you tell us what to do? How dare you tell us to eat, yeah, to eat, to eat, eat more vegetables? How dare you tell, mm. yeah, tell, tell us to do things? And actually, Rob's Rob absolutely right about, uh, yeah, about COVID. Mm. Yeah, that, that wasn't nudging. That, yeah, and and yeah, that was, the government says, do this thing or bad things will happen. Mm. And most people thought, yeah, fair enough, we'll listen to that. That seems sensible. Um, and, I mean, the... you know, be, uh, and, you know, and I also, also absolutely agree with Robert about libertarianism, which is mm. basically making a sort of strange comeback in the Tory party, even yeah. though it is strongly out of yeah out of kilter with with most but most of the public i think i mean the nudge thing is fair enough as a kind of secondary uh line of persuasion mm. but it's not what grown-up governments are there to do is it i mean uh by that logic you wouldn't have any taxation you would say you know it's a good idea to pay for public services so i mean it's, it's a very it's a it's not much of a, a, a in, in the art in the locker of what governments can do i, I think it's a pretty it's a fairly weak tool to, uh, whereas, uh, you know, I mean, smoking. I think you, you cited smoking in the, in uh, in your column, James, and that's that, that's a classic example of governments actually yeah, wheeling out the big the big guns, yeah. taxation, banning advertising, and then prescribing where people can do prescribing it. Prescribing where people can do it, and it's gradually come down to the to the point now where we've got about fourteen percent of British adults smoke, and yeah. just after the war, it was about sixty percent. And you, 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 if you remember, I mean, you know, people with long memories will re remember 2007 or the, the ban on the ban on smoking indoors, mm. when that was that was regarded as being, you know, being by some some of the commentary as being an impossible assault on our our, our liberties as freeborn Englishmen to yeah. smoke in pubs. Yeah, does anybody anywhere now think that you know, we wish that it, we wish you could smoke in pubs? and think that no. anything other than a good idea. And no, it, and I it, smoke. It's helped. It's helped. It's helped. As you say, drive smoking rates right down. Yeah. We haven't nudged people over smoking. We've we, we've told them not to do it, and they haven't. Yeah, I came of age after the smoking ban, and I can't imagine a pub with smoke inside. It must have been. Terrible. Never mind a pub. Can you imagine smoking on the tube? It took on the it, tube. On the tube. It took the King's Cross fire, nineteen eighty seven. escalators, yeah. Fifty people to die in order to, for us to realise that smoking hundred feet underground uh, was a bad idea. Did you ever smoke on a plane? Yeah, loved I, it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I've been on. I, I remember going on, play, on, play, on planes where people could smoke. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it was I, a fairly I, remarkable, remarkable thing. Yeah, God, that's but unimaginable. In the theatre, had some fairly bad fires in theatres and cinemas, and that. Yeah, yeah that was. In twenty in twenty years, we'll be doing this item about vaping, won't we? When we've all got terrible well, cancers from vapes. Well, we might be doing it. There's a, there's a, there is definitely there is a coming story about vaping. Vaping is vaping is mm-hmm. really popular among teenagers, um, and it's you know, yeah, vaping might start to undo some of the the public health health advances on around smoking. Um, but again, one thing is, yeah, politicians haven't you know, haven't quite spotted that a load of you know, too many teenagers are, are vaping. In uh, and, and James, since we've got you, can you uh, reveal how we're all going to save huge amounts of money? Ah uh, yes. Well, if you've got a combination, if you've got a combination boiler, and about fifty, more than half of people do have a, have a combination boiler, so no water tank, uh, then there's something on it called the flow temperature. Basically, chances are your your combi boiler is probably heating the water for your radiators higher than it needs to to keep your house hot. Mm. If you turn that down to the right temperature, you can probably cut between six to eight percent off your heating bills in a year. Uh, um, which will, if we're talking about heating bills of three, three, three grand, that's, 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 that's 200 quid. Um, and this, 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 is a, this is the starting point of my column. I mean, here's the thing that politicians who've got, and you, you were just hearing earlier on, that politicians have got the, the you know, when, when politicians have got the spotlight, you know, their poll numbers change because people listen, people pay attention. And the Tory party has had the spotlight, it's had the attention of the public for a month now. Uh, so politicians have this platform, they can talk to us about the way, about the way we live and what we do. And if they use that platform to say, hey, Hey everybody, here's a good idea. All you need to do is pop upstairs, turn down that dial on your boiler a little bit, and it might save you 200 quid. Um, simple intervention, they could do it mm-hmm. here, but they don't do it. And I literally, I've asked several of them from all parties. I've said, look, here's the thing: why aren't you telling people? Why aren't you, why aren't you going to run a campaign on this? And they all go, yeah, we can't tell people what to do. Uh, don't want to be you. We don't want to patronise them. Don't, don't, you know, we don't, don't, want the, don't want to be the, the nanny state, do we? See, that is extraordinary because um, I can understand the thing about the sweater. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I can understand them not wanting that headline. Mm. But this is just sort of straightforwardly boring, helpful, helpful advice. But there's a generation of politicians who are now, I mean, frankly, they're, they're too scared of the likes of us, or the likes of you. You're, you're, you, 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 you two are proper journalists. I'm just, I'm just a, <laughs> an amateur, amateur moonlighter these days. But yeah, they, they, are, they, are too, they are too scared of, short, of the short-term, short-term headlines, some bad tweets, and also, I mean, they, they would also lead them to make some daft, daft mistakes, and then they announce, they announce too much stuff. I mean, the entire, the entire Tory leadership election is about feeding the beast. Yeah. You've got to come up with a new policy to, you know, to, get, to get tomorrow's news cycle. It's Twitter's up, fault. You know, it's Twitter's and, fault, and, isn't it, James? Coming, coming, coming yeah, the, the, attention cycle, cycle, the attention span gets shorter and shorter, the beast gets hungrier, and they are feeding the beast, and as a result, they make mistakes. Instead of yeah. taking a step back and thinking, OK, right, what do, we, what, what do we actually want to tell people? What can we use our platform to helpfully tell people about what they can, you know, they, they could do and should do. Uh, um, is anyone telling you, Robert, that you should or shouldn't fill up your swimming pool with your hosepipe? Uh, <laughs> no, but they're telling that poor that man, uh, Colin Skellett, I think he's called, who I wrote about yesterday, the chief executive of Wessex Water, who is being pilloried uh, for having a swimming pool. 40-footer, you know, uh, 40-footer. right in time Yeah, 40-footer, they're 30 metres. I mean, the world of domestic swimming pools, that's not... That's not bad. I mean, that's half the length of your, your average uh, council pool. You couldn't train it if you were uh, going to the Commonwealth Games, could you? You couldn't, no. You'd be doing too many tumble <laughs> turns. You'd be good for your, good for your tumble turn uh, training, but that's all. Uh, and it just seemed to me to be ridiculous. I mean, you know, who cares whether the guy's got a swimming pool or not? Uh, and so I, I, I rushed to his defence 
Largely because I've you got did. a swimming pool myself. A one man, as you put it, as you put it, some un- underwater defence militia together. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the answer to today's guess who, Colin Skellett underwater with Robert Crampton in a waterproof red beret. Um, what do you think? What do you think of this sort of thing, James? It's the sort of you know, it's a bit like Rishi Sunak, who's in fact building a swimming mm. pool in North Yorkshire while his local council shuts his down. Is this again the sort of thing politicians mm. and the public figures are increasingly squeamish about having their you know, their lone lifestyles splashed over the papers and all over Twitter when uh, other people are hard up. We're going to be seeing much more of this as we go on. I mean, you know, generally, I, I think people are you know, much more, probably a little bit more accepting of that than, again, some of the shouty headlines you, know, you make out. I mean, you know, I think most people, most people accept that, you know, that some, people, you know, some people are rich and have stuff. Mm. And I'd there's not that much of I it. Mean, this has always been said by, about successive you know, successive Tory politicians, particularly that extreme wealth is really going to count against them. You've seen Liz Truss trying to use Rishi Sunak's wealth against him. Mm. Um, I'm not sure actually that people, at the end of the day, you know, obviously some people will, will get will, will get very angry. And also, yeah, you know, politically, I'm not I'm not sure it actually motivates that much action that you look at someone and think, well, there, yeah, he's he's rich. Don't mm. like him, not going to vote for him. Re- I mean, the reality is, most politicians, by definition, if you on their salary, are significantly richer than, than the median member of the public anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, any MP is richer is, is richer than, mm. than, than than the average average British mm. worker anyway. So whether or not they've got eighty year, go, you get paid eighty grand, or they're, they're worth eighty mm. million, they're all richer than richer than than, than the public anyway. And and I mean, I think Labour tried this tactic with uh, with Cameron and with Boris, and because on the Etonian. Uh, they did. Remember that by-election in crew in Nantwich where they were handing out flyers yeah. and top hats and tails? Yeah, and it didn't, it didn't really work. It didn't, yeah. it didn't work. Uh, that said, I think Rishi Sunak might like to make a donation to his, if I were him, and he was really, if he really is or if his wife really is as rich as we're led to believe, he could fund a local swimming pool as well as build his own, Or invite he? the local kids into his. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. some safeguarding issues there, probably, but yeah, there are. But no, seriously, he could. I mean, he could do that. That's what I guess. That's what an American p- politician of that wealth I, would, no, would I, do. I, I what Victorians would do as well. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And actually, yeah, the, the Victorian that Victorian point about using wealth for social good, yeah. philanthropy, it is, it is a much bigger thing in America because the state because the state is smaller. But I do think, yeah, you know, yeah, if you are a if you are a rich person in politics, I think you should engage with it, engage with this more and say, look, yes, I am. Yeah, and funny. I mean, Richie Sunak has done some philanthropy, but his 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 most significant bit of philanthropy was, was endowing a scholarship at his old his old school, uh, Winchester. Yeah, Winchester mm, yeah. yeah, there's stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can you can use money for good, and I think if he's yeah. got money, he should probably be he should probably be thinking about making a virtue of that. That was our columnist panel. You can read James and Robert in the Times regularly. Of course, just go to the Times website to subscribe. Now it's time for today's big thing, Disunited Kingdom, bringing you politics from all four corners of the UK. You're listening to Times Red Box Politics Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. Yes, it's back this week. For the next half hour, we'll get all the news from the four corners of the UK. So let's get cracking and introduce our panel for today. In England, Liam Thorpe is the political editor of the Liverpool Echo. Morning, Liam. Morning, Patrick. How are you doing? Very well. All the better for speaking to uh, speaking to his fellow inhabitant and Merseyside, of course. In Wales, Liz Perkins is senior reporter at the South Wales Evening Post. Morning. Hi, how are you? 
again, all the better for speaking to you. In Scotland, Hannah Brown is political reporter at The Scotsman. Morning, Hannah. Good morning. How are you doing? Same, same answer again. Same answer again. It's a pleasure to speak to you all. And in Northern Ireland, Kiva Quinn is a broadcast journalist at our sister station, U105 in Belfast. Good morning, Kiva. Hi, how are you? Brilliant. I'm absolutely brilliant uh, because we're going to have an absolutely fascinating discussion on how the race for number 10 is going down in the four corners of the UK. Liz Perkins, let's go to you first because Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are at a hustings tonight in Cardiff. Have they been you know, knocking on the door of your paper and others with big policy pledges for Wales this morning? I have to say, Rishi Sunak is the one who's really been shouting the most. He's even had his Twitter account in Welsh, which I was quite surprised at. But um, yes, he's really going all out to play to the audience. He's come up for a vision for Wales that he says is totally unrivaled. And he's very much sort of selling what he's achieved in terms of Wales, in, especially during the pandemic, where he said you know, he's managed to save 63,000 jobs um, in, in business and essentially supported um, the self-employed. He, he really is selling his record here. And he's really, really been shouting more than anybody. Liz Truss, on the other hand, has been um, very quiet, actually. And I don't think really this week has helped her in terms of her U-turn on regional pay. I mean, clearly this is not a good time for her to be heading to Cardiff, given that HMRC is based there. We've got DVLA down the road in Swansea, and also you've got the passport office in Newport as well. And that really caused a major row with Welsh government. I mean, you know, she clearly returned on that policy, but they were branding it unfair and wrong if it had gone ahead. So she hasn't really said an awful lot since then. I mean, clearly, you know, she is ahead of Rishi Sunak, but, you know, that was quite damaging for her in Wales, I would say. And what do you reckon? Because the relationship between the Welsh Tories and the party in Westminster isn't always straightforward. And also the Welsh Tories are on a sticky wicket because you know Labour have been historically so dominant. And Mark Drakeford uh, is you know pretty popular among the public for his handling of the pandemic and other things. What, who do you think is the favoured candidate of the, of the Welsh Tories between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss? Well, what's interesting is that more uh, Welsh MPs and politicians here seem to actually be back in Rishi Sunak. And I was quite kind of surprised at that because everybody's talking Liz Truss is the front runner and that she's going to win. But he seems to have got like supportive people like Simon Hart, who um, previously was the Welsh um, secretary. And you're just thinking, you know, he's the big hitters in Wales seem to be quite fond of him. And uh, Liz Truss, I think she only had about three people who were backing her who sort of really came out. And you're just thinking, wow. So, yeah, I mean, maybe this could be, you know, the chance for him to claw back some support. Who knows? Because, I mean, he's the one who's really, really pushing it. And he has to because the gulf between him and Liz Truss is, is you know, quite substantial. But at the end of the day, you know, she has she's going to have a tricky time of it, I think, to be honest. It's not going to be plain sailing for her. And clearly she has to, you know, come back from what she said about those regional pay. I mean, people in terms of the farming community, they're not really happy with some of her policies in terms of trade deals that she's done as well. So, you know, they've both got to really fight their corner. And he really is the one who seems to be fighting more than she is at the moment. So... Uh, Liz Perkins for the South Wales Evening Post. Stay on the line because we'll return to you in just a moment. But Hannah Brown at The Scotsman. Liz, touched, uh, Liz Perkins touched on it just there. 
talking about uh, how her policy announcement on uh, civil service pay, Liz Truss's announcement on civil service pay, went down pretty badly in areas of the country that are reliant on civil service jobs. It's not the only gaffe Liz, Liz Truss has made this week, of course. Or, you know, you can read it as a gaffe, you can read it if you're a Tory member as a, you know, a stout defence of the union. But, of course, in uh, in Exeter the other night, Liz Truss said that ha- uh, Nicola Sturgeon should be ignored because she's an attention seeker. Do you think comments like that, uh, Hannah Brown from The Scotsman, give give the SNP a bit of a boost? Is it, you know, a good sort of propaganda coup for the SNP when you have the next candidate for Prime Minister essentially saying, look, we're going to ignore the democratically elected First Minister of Scotland? Oh, I mean, totally. It's as if the SNP wrote it themselves, to be honest, uh, this gaffe. I mean, calling the First Minister an attention seeker who should be ignored, you know, it's an attack so damaging to the Scottish Tories, you, you would think that the SNP wrote it and that's the thing it plays to this concept of Scotland being viewed by the UK government as yeah being held in contempt that's something that John Swinney the deputy first minister was mentioning uh, when he was responding to Liz Truss naming the first minister is that he was basically saying the comments were obnoxious and totally unacceptable and came from a culture within the UK government of holding Scotland in this contempt. And I think that is incredibly damaging. So I think, yeah, it, it, it will it will play against against trust on this. It's not just a, a gaffe, I guess. It's but I think when we're we're talking about this, we need to remember that it's not the Scottish people who are reacting to this. So in as much as the Scottish people will screaming will be screaming at their TV sets, it is the Scottish Tories um who matter. And I think I still think that they will be held, you know, a wee bit surprised by this. Uh, the start of the week we got um the six, Scottish six MSPs, wasn't it, who endorsed Liz Trust together. You know, she does command a pretty substantial chunk of support at Holyrood. So how, how do those sort of people feel who have looked at Liz Truss and thought, actually, that's that's the woman who can... Because uh, we discussed this on, on this show last week with with people up in Scotland, and I think a lot, lot of people in Scotland, particularly you know, Tories in Holyrood, rather, lots of Tories in Scotland, are enthused by Liz Truss's pitch. Do you think some of them might be having buyer's remorse when they see her shooting from the hip? That's what people like about Liz Truss. Shooting from the hip, but potentially... Um, damaging the Tories' reputation in Scotland with comments like that? Sure, so I think a lot of Scottish Tories were taken by surprise. Obviously, they, a lot of them pinned their kind of colours to the mask before she came on to that hosting that night on Monday. Um, but speaking to a few uh, in Westminster, they, they are sh- shocked and a few of them suggesting that she should get new advisors on the union immediately uh, was something that was being told uh, to our Westminster correspondent. So I think they will, they will still stick up for her, the ones that have recently come out in support. I think it's a third of the Tory contingent in Holyrood are in support of trust. So I think it will be very hard to back down from that now. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it will be hard to it will be hard to bring back for them. Obviously, they are making it all about uh, Sturgeon's push for another independence referendum. So bringing out the fact that well, Trust is incredibly angry at the moment. So this is where it's all coming from. Uh, she's outright rejected another referendum for Scottish independence under any circumstances so this is kind of what Truss is reacting to and this is what Tory MPs and MSPs are standing up for uh, Murdoch Fraser kind of coming out with that recently uh, but yeah I mean great gold stuff for SNP leafleters at the moment uh, because if she does become PM this will be plastered 
all over them for the next general election. But but I guess what can the SNP do if Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak are both saying, you know, I'm not going to grant a second independence referendum? You know, what 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 can what can Nicola Sturgeon do other than do what she's already said, which is well, I'm going to take it to the courts. It's far from clear whether the courts are going to do anything but just say no, you don't have the right to hold the referendum, and then run in a run on a sort of de facto second referendum platform at the next general election, turning that into a, a second referendum on whether she wants to be up, she can call a second referendum. And then, you know, if Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak is still in office by then saying, no, absolutely not. What what can they do? What's the plan B? Sure. So, I mean, these are the kind of plans that I've outlined. And I, I guess when we're taking it step by step, we need to think that the de facto referendum right now is probably the most likely one. And I guess it will just be constant campaigning um, and, yeah, hoping for the fact that I, I, I don't believe that they will get this um, Supreme Court ruling kind of passed and they won't they won't be successful with that. But if it does become a de facto referendum, then they'll hold on to that. And then probably within a next uh, election, they will try and kind of turn the tide and show well, Scotland is completely disunited from this kingdom as your show kind of <laughs> accurately puts and they will kind of be campaigning for that what the next steps are for the scottish government are really really hard to tell but if nicola sturgeon doesn't end her legacy with an independent scotland it will be incredibly uh it will be an incredible blow for her so i guess it will just be constant campaigning from here on out and the fact that they are denying the scottish uh, independence referendum that will feel for many people and what the SNP will make it out to be is people taking away the Scottish voice uh, and so that will probably garner a lot of votes. Well, Hannah Brown for the Scotsman, stay with us. Let's head to Liverpool where Liam Thorpe, political editor of the Liverpool Echo, is on the line. Liam, I think, you know, I don't necessarily need to ask how the Tory leadership election is going down on your patch. Labour, of course, is a massive Labour city. Everybody knows that. I did want to ask, though, about what you made of the reaction to her civil service pay announcement yesterday and her rapid U-turn. There are lots of big public sector employers in Liverpool, the the passport office, HMRC in Bootle, of course, and, and many, many others. How how did that go down the page of the Echo yesterday, that announcement? As you say, Patrick, um, Liverpool doesn't have have sort of some of the great industries that it that it had in the past and it and it does rely quite heavily on some of these um civil service sort of strongholds passport office home office hmrc um so i think for people to hear to hear that 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 you know 8.8 .8 billion be wiped away from effectively from public sector pay um was distressing for people at a time when when they are struggling massively anyway um with cost of living with with real terms pay cuts but you know, people weren't, I don't think we're particularly surprised. I don't think people had any expectation that either of these candidates would be offering anything to, to help their sort of day-to-day -day lives. Um, and then to obviously see it kind of backtracked on, uh, backtracked on, you turned on in such a dramatic fashion, screeching fashion um, within 24 hours, just for many people around here, we'll, we'll sum up the, the sort of joke to them that this, this, uh, this, this campaign has been. I thought it was particularly poor from Liz Trust to, to go out and blame the media for, for what was a, a completely accurate reporting of what she was proposing. She either had um, not realised what exactly what the policy was, because as, as the Sunak campaign has pointed out, within that £8 billion would have to be major cuts to, to the pay of teachers, nurses, armed services people, or she had just didn't like the reaction and, and you turned on it. Either way, 
it doesn't exactly bode well. And this is the person who is, you know, the the, the clear favourite to be the next prime minister. I think here in in Merseyside, as you say, it's 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 it, it, this contest is kind of going on in a parallel universe. Really, you know, we've just written a story today about a guy turning up for a food bank and a pensioner having not eaten for four days because he's he can't afford his his food and energy bills. That's what's the reality of, of people's lives here in, in Merseyside, and these these sort of bizarre claims and bizarre pledges around tax cuts and things like that just don't even register here. They just they're just in a different world. But but you know, as much as the Tory candidate's going down badly in Liverpool, Keir Starmer's not exactly flavour of the month, is he? He visited last week and ended up being barracked by a, a left wing member. Uh, in a in a pizza restaurant, wasn't he? Someone who'd been expelled from the Labour Party or suspended from the Labour Party, and I think there's a, there's a big tension there, isn't there? Keir Starmer, you know, trying to differentiate himself, differentiate himself rather from Jeremy Corbyn, and it's not necessarily going down well among left wingers of Liverpool, is it? Now, I, I put this to, to Starmer when when we sat down with him on Monday. I, I said, you know, th- these are the the things that are facing people. People are in absolute crisis, whether it's Trying to get A and E um, help, trying to get food, uh, food at food banks, and and the kind of the crisis that is facing so many people. As you know, Patrick, you know Liverpool, Walton, for example, the most deprived constituency in the country. And I, I put it to him that people just do not think that you're offering enough to to differentiate yourself from this current terrible status quo that people are facing. He he pushed back on that, said that he thought that some of the stuff they had done was quite radical. But there's definitely a feeling here that there's an open goal here, and people want to see at least some really clear policies about how their lives will dramatically be improved under a Labour government. And for people here in, in, in Liverpool particularly, I'd say that they don't feel they're seeing that at this point from Starmer. Well, Liam Thorpe from Liverpool Echo, stay with us. Let's head to Kiva Quinn in Belfast. Morning, Kiva. Kiva, with us? You? I'm very well, very well. How is Liz Trust going down? Tory members in Northern Ireland, there are about 12 of them. So it's not necessarily how they're not going to cast the deciding votes in these contests with the best one in the world, unless it's much, 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 much closer than the polls imply. What really matters for Liz Truss in Northern Ireland is how her language on the Northern Ireland Protocol is going down. Obviously, she, as Foreign Secretary, she brought in that controversial legislation. But how, how's, how's that all going for her? I'd say the DUP satisfied with her hardline the protocol, or do they want more? I think it's quite a mixed bag here. Like you say, everything here kind of just tends to focus on that protocol. I would say it's safe enough to say that the DUP would be backing Liz Truss um, for her stance and, of course, her work with that protocol bill, whereas the other parties, I think, would actually tend to go towards Rishi Sunak. So it will just depend on the progress that's made with that protocol bill for the overall vote, whether the DUP do follow through and support Liz Truss or whether they change alliances. And... You know, another big event in your patch today, Kiva. Uh, another assembly recall. Stormont getting back round the table again, trying to restore a functioning legislature in Northern Ireland. It's been stop-start for weeks and months now. And the big sticking point is whether the DUP is willing to nominate a speaker because without a speaker, the assembly can't meet. Even if the parties don't agree to a power-sharing executive, they could still allow the assembly to meet and people could bring forward uh, legislation as individual members and they could discuss the big issues like the cost of living crisis and the protocol. But the DUP aren't even willing to do that. What are the prospects today of that changing? Do you think the DUP are ready to stick their toe in the water and appoint a speaker? Well, you know, some people are saying third time lucky because, of course, this is the third party recall since May. I'm pretty sure that you could actually 
go ahead and take every interview I've done with this United Kingdom and just replay it every segment this time. But the DUP have already come out and said we're not going to support today's efforts of electing a speaker. They still want to wait and see progress on that protocol bill before they make any decisions. So it's very unlikely that we're going to see our constitution, our institution reinstated today, the restoration of power sharing. And as a result, then we're not going to see a debate on the cost of living crisis, which is, of course, affecting so many people here. We heard earlier that the DUP had hit out at the SDLP, whose motion is responsible for the recall today. They called that a political stunt. Now, the SDLP's Matthew O'Toole had back. He, he's, now, he's now the leader of the opposition. Stormont has a leader of the opposition now in, in Matthew O'Toole from the SDLP, doesn't it? That's correct. Yes, that happened just a few weeks ago. So he's hitting out and saying, you know, hang on, yous are the ones collapse the executive during a cost of living crisis. Yous are the only ones kind of pulling this political stunt. But the DUP seem very firm on their stance. They believe that people voted for them to get this protocol bill across the line to remove that Irish Sea border. And therefore, they're sticking to their guns. So I think it'll take a lot more before we actually see a functioning government back again. Right, back to Liverpool now. Liam Thorpe, bus drivers are on strike. That's uh, That'll be a pain if I was still living in Southport and my Arriva bus to uh, to town wasn't working, but thankfully I'm here in our studio in London Bridge. What impact is that having on the city? And crucially, are there any Labour MPs out on the picket lines with the bus drivers? I think that's um, it's a good example that you just used there, Patrick, because I was down in London this weekend, and and you really you really do remind yourself just how how well served the capital is for public transport compared to some areas of the north and, and elsewhere. I think the thing about what this what this strike is showing, we're now today is the fifteenth continuous day of there being zero Arriva buses across Merseyside, and Arriva, one of the two big. Uh, operators here along with stagecoach so for for many people it's they just cannot get anywhere on public transport while this is ongoing people I, one one guy told me yesterday that he's had to spend 140 pounds in taxis getting mm. to and from work in that time but regardless of that you know liverpool is a is a is a, a place that generally supports striking workers um i was i went out on the picket line to chat to some of the guys and every single car that was going past was was honking them and, and offering them support. Um, yes, we've had um, Ian Byrne MP um, has definitely been on, on the picket lines. Um, I believe some of the others um, have joined as well. Um, certainly with, with the rail strikes, um, Paula Barker, Kim Johnson, Mick Whitley, have, um, Dan Carden have all been there as well. Um, none, of, uh, none of them holding front, uh, senior front bench positions, so probably won't quite be the same issue we saw with, with Sam Terry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a huge issue for people. It's in the they they have Arriva came with an eight point five percent pay increase, but for the striking workers, they said it's still not enough to to match the the issues they're facing with inflation. They said these are long entrenched issues. As things stand, this is going into a sixteenth day tomorrow. Then we're looking ahead at the weekend, and there's no prospect at this point of of a resolution. So it's it's a potentially in for the long haul. We continue our ongoing quest to find the most fun part of the country. So let's get some of the best lighter stories in your areas. Liz Perkins from the Southwest Evening Post. What's yours? Well, I was going to say, surprisingly enough, we've got snakes on the loose in Bridgend. In Bridgend? I know, I know. You'd think we were in the Caribbean or Australia or somewhere exotic, but no, no, it's Bridgend. Um, because of the record-breaking heatwave we've had across the UK, uh, the amount of these snakes 
have been cited. Well, it's just gone through the roof, to be honest. And if you really want to see one, you've got to go to Rest Bay in Port Call of all the places. Apparently, some people are actually releasing these snakes that they've been keeping as pets. So, you know, you're not getting your normal adders and grass snakes. Well, I was going to say that they're not venomous, are they, these snakes? Well, I hope not. I hope nobody gets bitten, but it's just quite strange, really, to imagine that you've got these creatures sort of roaming across the sand. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, the other week we had Jaws over in um, Cardigan Bay, which was completely unexpected. I mean, we never usually see massive sharks, and now we've got snakes on the loose as well. So uh, who knew that we could be such a dangerous place to live, eh? God, what, what a world. Who knew South <laughs> Wales was the, uh, was the answer? You know, you can go on safari in South Wales, surely, I'm sure. Uh, Hannah Brown from the Scotsman, can you top that? Well, I can try, but poisonous <laughs> or non-poisonous snakes are quite quite a feat. But as Liz Truss has been kind of distracting everyone in Scotland on the TV, a cat burglar has been <laughs> on the loose in the streets of Lanarkshire. Um, so that's been quite quite serious, and he's in for one particular item of clothing, and that is your socks. So whenever you feel like, hmm, I've not got enough socks here, what's happening? It's probably Charlie the cat from Lanarkshire who has been at large, who's taken all your socks. Um, he's, his, main, his main time was in, I think, June. He, he was striking, striking a lot of, I think he kind of targets washing lines uh, across the he's, county. He's an opportunistic th- th- thief. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of my favourite quotes uh, from the owner was, uh, what was it? He came with a glove one time, but that was a one-off. Uh, so socks, can... socks are his poison. He's a sock addict. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a real specialist within that uh, within that area. But he can target anything. So nothing, nothing is really safe. And I think he's become a bit of a social media star on the local community Facebook groups. Uh, kind of people wanting updates for where his next strike is going to be. Of course, um, he's he's a literal cat burglar, Hannah. He's a literal cat burglar. Uh, Kiva yeah. Quinn, what have you got for us in Northern Ireland? Um, one news story that caught my attention during the weekend was actually about a viral tweet. Um, and I think it's one we can all relate to. It was about um, a passenger on a plane. They were touching down the airport and just as they reached the tarmac, they said the passenger in front was airplane, airplane mode straight off and on the phone to their local Chinese to order a collection. So I think we've all kind of been there, but maybe we wait until we get home rather than before we've even taxied to the door of the airport. No shame, no shame. I'm, I'm all, I'm all, I'm with that man. I'm completely with that man. Although you know, you can do, you can do it more subtly and discreetly via Deliveroo uh, and other, other food delivery apps are, are available, of course. But you can do that in silence on your phone. But you know, no shame. I'm proud. You know, proud of the guy uh, who uh, orders, uh, you know, chicken chow mein in uh, on a commuter jet. Liam. Speaking of food, I shouldn't be, actually, because your story sounds absolutely vile. Yeah, I hope you've uh, fully digested your breakfast, Patrick. Um, And uh, we've all woken up um, at at times with a a spot or a pimple on our face and and worried about how it's going to look. A slightly more extreme version for uh, Louise Edwards from Allerton in South Liverpool, who woke up with what she thought was a a large spot. Uh, It kept growing, um, and there are some truly, truly difficult difficult to... uh, what look at pictures which showed this growth continuing to grow um before she it was able to coax out what she believes is some sort of parasite oh. uh, i'm just gonna just gonna read you this quote here um she says i saw my neighbor on the monday 
she asked me what had happened. When I explained, she said to use boiling water straight from the kettle to draw whatever it is to the top. What, into so her eye? I, Pour boiling water into her eye? That's how That's how extreme... I mean, it was just above her eye, to be fair. Oh, fair enough. Um, anyway, she, she did that. She then felt a popping sensation. Uh, and she says, as I squeezed, this thing started coming out. My dad came over and said it was a parasite. It had legs. So there you go. Oh, that is so yeah. depressing. And, you know, our newsreader's in the studio, Liam, and I, I'm not entirely sure she's going to make it through the bulletin, having heard that distressing story. So, you know, the invoice will go straight to straight to you, Kev, Liverpool I've got Echo. a spot on my forehead. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm oh, panicking no. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm not sure this makes Liverpool the most fun place in the city. Yeah, but, well, I was going to say, it doesn't usually happen like... Things like that don't usually happen in leafy Allerton. I'm absolutely shocked. Oh. I know it'll take uh, take a bit off the house prices down there. Uh, it will, it will. A couple, you know, well, you know, only only ten grand or so in in Allerton. You know, the likes of you and I can never afford, never dream of buying in Leafy Allerton. That's all we got time for on this episode of the Red Box Politics Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.